All right, I want to take a few minutes and share. Uh, if you look down at the bottom of your screen, there's a record button. And we're not going to be able to record this, I don't think, any other way except this. Is that correct, Steve? I am recording it right now. We'll see how it works, but the recording okay. is on. Good, good. All right, then Steve's going to do it, and you can get back and, and uh, listen to it later on. Uh, I, want, I shared a couple of scriptures with you last time I shared with you. <clears throat> and uh, I've heard from several people since then, and they said it seemed to be the common thread was knowing God. And that's because that was the common thread, was knowing God. And we've been talking about knowing God for a lot of years, a lot of times. And we've had a lot of people that have come in the last year or so that were not part of that. And so I felt like it was important for us to go back and share some of the things that we've learned about knowing God that maybe we didn't share before. And uh, to kind of get on the same page, so to speak, knowing God has been our heart from the very beginning, hearing God, being intimate with him, hearing his voice living in his presence. And that's still my heart today is that the body of Christ learned to do that. And the verses that I shared last week, I want to read over those. And then I want to add a few more to them. And I want to encourage you to just meditate on these during the next week. Uh, the first one that I gave you was in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. And it says, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. And that's pretty much all of the things that the world boasts in. And he says, but let him who boasts or make a big deal out of or rejoice in boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness on earth for i delight in these things declares the lord one of the things he delights in is us knowing him one of the things that leslie just mentioned a while ago and and all of us have struggled with this in the past is that when we've gone to the lord we quote didn't get anything well what if it's not about us what if it's about what he gets out of it what if it's about the delight that he receives from his children coming and just being in his presence? And if you're a, a grandfather or grandmother, you know that all too well. When your grandkid crawls up, comes and crawls up in your lap, you don't want them to recite the Declaration of Independence. You don't care what they do. You're just mm -hmm. glad that they're there with you. And so he says, I delight in these things. This is my delight that you know me. And then in John 17, 3, Jesus said, I'm going to define eternal life for you. Now, we've made that a lot of things. We've made it going to heaven. We've made it, uh, uh, you know, being baptized. We've made it, you know, a lot of things. But Jesus, when he describes it and defines it, he says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the definition of eternal life. 
Knowing him is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing him. It's not saying a prayer. It's not walking an aisle. It's a relationship with him. Then in Ephesians 1, 15 through 7, Paul says, For this reason, too, I, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you. So he's writing these to, this to believers. He's writing this to Christians. I've heard about your faith, and I want to add something to that. I want to help give you a clarity about your faith and your direction. He said, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Paul says, I am just delighted that in your faith, I am delighted in your love for one another. I am delighted that you've come to know the Lord. And I constantly give thanks that you have come to know the Lord and that you're part of the family and that you're part of the kingdom. I even pray for you. I make mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he says he prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to the body of Christ. And he says, I constantly pray that God will give you a revelation of Jesus. Not information, not a mental understanding, but I am praying that God will give you a revelation of Jesus, that God will show you who Jesus really is. That's knowing him. And so I think those were the three I gave you. One other ones I want to add to you is out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Paul kind of carries on that thing. He did that with the Ephesians, and he's done it, he does it with the Colossians. He says, for this reason also, since the day that we heard of it, well, it is your faith in Christ. Since the day that I heard that you exercised faith in Christ, since the day that I heard that you met the Lord, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says, I pray that your understanding and your awareness and your knowledge of God would grow and be enlarged in your heart because he's bigger than that first initial prayer. He's bigger than that first salvation experience. He's bigger than when you initially trusted in him and placed your faith in him. So Paul says, I'm praying that. I'm crying out to the Lord on your behalf for that to be real in your life. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my faith, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, 
that is Christ himself. So Paul says, I'm praying that you would have a full understanding of this thing God has done, and he calls it God's mystery. Now, the mystery is not information or facts hidden beforehand and now revealed. Let me say that again. The mystery is not information or facts once hidden and now revealed. The mystery is Christ. That's the mystery. It's not information, it's Christ. And that mystery was alluded to beforehand, all through the Old Testament. He alluded to the mystery, the reality of Christ. And he says, now it's been revealed or it's been made clear. And I pray that you would have a full understanding of that mystery. Now, this is a definition of mystery. This is interesting. It's being outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension. Being outside something that's a mystery is outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension. What he's saying is a mystery is something that you can't apprehend in your own understanding. A mystery is something that you can't understand in your own mind. It is outside of the range of unassisted natural apprehension. There has to be an assistance from somewhere that we can grasp the mystery. There has to be an assistance outside of ourselves that moves upon us that allows us to apprehend this mystery. It says, it can be known only by divine revelation. That's what Paul was praying in Ephesians 1. I pray that you would be, it would, there would be, you would have a revelation of who Christ is. It can be made known only by divine revelation and is made known in a manner and at a time appointed by God and to those who are illumined by his spirit. I want to just read that through again. You can get it down. It's a mystery is being outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension. It can be made known only by divine revelation and is made known in a manner and at a time appointed by God and to those who are illumined by his spirit. That's one of the purposes of being in God's presence. That's one of the purposes of fellowshipping with him intimately, is that in that time, he reveals aspects of Jesus that we didn't see before. He reveals aspects to Jesus that we can't get just by, in our mind, reading Scripture. It comes by a revelation that God reveals to us, and it says, by those who are illumined by his Spirit. Great word, a great understanding for mystery. <clears throat> now, if you've had enough, enough, Paul, here's Peter. In the introduction in 2 Peter, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then that was his introduction. Then in the closing, the last sentence he says in 3.18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. That word grow or increase in the knowledge, multiplied in the knowledge, that word grow 
is an increase of the growth of that which lives naturally or spiritually. When something grows, there has to be life present already for that to grow. You can't just grow tomatoes without a seed or a plant that has life, tomato life in it. And for it to grow, it increases in tomato life. That baby that we just had, I say we like I had something to do with it. <laughs> that baby that just was introduced to our body has human life in her. She will grow in that life, but that life must be present already for it to grow. Peter says, I'm praying that you will grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the knowledge of Christ abides inside of each one of us who knows him. And he says, I'm praying that that knowledge, that understanding of our Lord would grow inside of you. So that, have to, that, that, that begs the question, do I have a living relationship with Christ? that can increase and grow? Or is it stagnant and fixed, locked, locked into a theological belief system that never changes? Do I have a living relationship with Christ that can increase or grow? Or is it stagnant and fixed, locked into a theological belief system that never changes? How many times, you know, when people ask you, are you a Christian? I've heard people say, well, I believe, and they tell you what you believe about God. That doesn't indicate a living relationship. A living relationship grows in the understanding of who he is. It's not just having a, a I remember one time we asked a little girl who was a Catholic, and we asked her, what do you believe about such and such? And her response was, I don't know, I'll have to ask the priest. Her understanding of Christianity was having all the right information, having all the right facts. That's not knowledge of God. And what happens in that world is we get this set of dogma, we get this set of theological treatise, and this is what I believe right here. It's contained in this. Well, here's the thing about it. Knowledge of Christ is infinite. It can never be contained. Knowing God is never marked by finality. We never know all there is to know if we have a knowing relationship with him. And he says, I want you to grow in that. I want that to be enlarged in you that you would know more of the Lord and know more of who he is. And then in Philippians chapter 3, back to Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Paul, I love this, these verses because it is so intense, I think. But Paul says he just got through listing a bunch of things. And these things that he listed, and you can go back and read them, were the things that made up his religious identity. It was who he was in his religion. And Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. For the last few weeks, we have suffered the loss of a lot of things. We've suffered the loss of freedom. We've suffered the loss of provision. We've suffered the loss of contact with people. And it's interesting to watch how people deal with that. Some people deal with that. They're angry. They're upset. They're resentful. They're fearful. They're frustrated. Some people have looked at that and says, wow, I've suffered the loss of all these things, but now that gives me the opportunity to be captured by Christ. It gives me time with him that I never had. It gives me opportunity to be with him and to know about him and to be intimate with him that I never had. And Paul said, all of these things that I had, they were things that stood in the way of me knowing him. What things is he referring to? In this case, things that made up his religious identity. Things he believed he had to do in order to meet and know God. And he said, now I've realized all of those things were hindrances, obstructions that kept me from knowing him. And I count them now as lost. The, the proper word for rubbish is dung. I mean, think of what phrase that he uses to describe all that stuff. And now he says that I might be captured by Christ, that I can know Christ. Well, it seems in reading these verses that at least to God, to Paul, and to Peter, it was important to know God and to grow and increase in that experience. Paul and Peter encouraged the saints to know him and to increase in that experience. Paul prayed that knowing Christ would be their experience. Paul walked away from it all in order to know Christ deeper. Now, how important is it, is to, how important is it to me? How important is it for me to know him? How valuable is it to me? Have I discovered the limitless wealth and the riches in Christ and come to realize they outweigh anything else that I gain, that I've had? Do I want a living, growing, vital relationship with Christ? Or am I satisfied with the, con with the fixed information that I already have? Now, all it takes to know about God is to read books about him, listen to sermons about him, memorize scripture about him, hear about him from other people, and then form a fixed belief system about who he is that'll never change. You can listen to every word that we share and just leave it where you found it, and it not add one single bit to your experience with him. Or we can stop running, we can stop defending ourselves, we can stop defending our belief system, we can stop hiding between our, behind our religious identity, and I allow myself to be found by a God who wants to reveal his love personally to me. Listen, God is still walking through the garden calling 
your name. God is still walking through the garden, calling your name to have intimate fellowship with him. John Stott made this interesting observation. He said, the chief reason people do not know God is not because he hides from them, but because they hide from him. The chief reason people don't know God God's not hiding. God's not hid. The chief reason we don't know him is we're hiding from him. Wayne Dyer made this statement. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Knowing about God is all the stuff we've been told and all the books we've read and all of our religious experiences and what others have told us and tried to convince us of. But knowing God is when we make conscious contact. Knowing God is when we make conscious contact. Knowing God is when we are consciously aware of his presence. And it seems to me that he wants to be known and to know by us. Now, religion mixed with superstition has greatly complicated the matter of knowing God. Religion and superstition have greatly complicated the matter of knowing God. Think of all the hoops you have to jump through to know God. We even have a little envelope with boxes on there to check so that you can check those and see how you're doing. We have all of these things. Leslie's got this wonderful pen that she won. All of these things you have to do to convince you, to get you to do these things, to know God. And they've complicated it to no end. My prayer during this time is that we can simplify that. I want it to be as simple as it can possibly be, that we can grasp it and lay hold of it and be captured by it, that God wants us to know him. I now want to know him as well. And so we're going to try to make it simple. We're going to, I, I, there's a lot of verses there. Now we're going to cover a lot of information. We're going to go over a lot of scripture and we're going to see a progression of things in scripture of God revealing this mystery that he finally brought forth in Christ. So there'll be a lot of scripture, but it's not going to be complicated. If it gets complicated, the enemy's gotten in it. I want us to see how simple it is to know him and have an intimate relationship with him. All right? Take those scriptures, meditate on them, ask the Lord about them, spend some time with him, and see what he gives you for next time we meet. Anybody have any questions or any input you'd like to add to what we shared today?